0: Section Two of The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Jennifer Wiginton. The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life by Homer Eon Flint. Part One The Discovery. Chapter Two A Dead City. From a height of a few thousand miles, Mercury, at first glance, strongly reminded them of the Moon. The general effect was the same leaden disk with slight prominences here and there on the circumference and large irregular splotches of a darker shade relieved by a great many brilliantly lighted areas lines and spots a second glance however found a marked difference instead of the craters which always distinguished the moon mercury showed ranges of bona fide mountains the doctor gave a sigh of regret mixed with a generous amount of excitement too bad those mountains weren't distinguishable from the earth he complained we wouldn't have been so quick to brand mercury a dead world the others were too engrossed to comment the sky car was rapidly sinking nearer and nearer the planet already smith had stopped the current with which he had attracted the cube toward the little world's northern hemisphere and was now using negative voltage this in order to act as a brake and prevent them from falling to destruction suddenly von emmon the geologist whose eyes had been blue to his binoculars gave an exclamation of wonder look at those faults he pointed to a region south of that for which they were bound what might be called the planet's torrid zone at first it was hard to see then little by little there unfolded before their eyes a giant spider-like system of chasms in the strange surface beneath them from a point almost directly opposite the sun these cracks radiated in a half-dozen different directions vast irregular clefts they ran through mountain and plain alike in places they must have been hundreds of miles wide while there was no guessing as to their depth for all that the four in the cube could see they were bottomless small likelihood of anybody being alive there now commented the geologist skeptically if the sun has dried it out enough to produce faults like that how could animal life exist notice however prompted the doctor that the cracks do not extend all the way to the edge of the disk this was true all the great chasms ended far short of the twilight band which the doctor had declared might still contain life but as the sky-car rushed downward their attention became fixed upon the surface directly beneath them a point whose latitude corresponded roughly with that of new york on the earth it was a region of low-lying mountains decidedly different from various precipitous ranges to be seen to the north and east on the west or left-hand side of this district a comparatively level stretch with an occasional peak or two projecting suggested the ancient bed of an ocean by this time they were within a thousand miles smith threw on a little more current their speed diminished to a safer point and they scanned the approaching surface with the greatest of care the architect who was a new yorker was strongly reminded of the fall aspect of the appalachians but van emmon who was born and raised on the pacific coast declared that the spot was almost exactly like the region north of san francisco "'If I didn't know where I was,' he declared, "'I'd be trying to locate Eureka right now.' The engineer smiled tolerantly. He had spent several years in Scotland, and he felt sure, he obligingly told the others, that this new locality was far more like the Ben-Lawman country than any other spot on earth. He was so positive he made the doctor, a New Zealander, smile quite broadly. "'It is just like the hills near my home,' he stated, with an air of finality which made further discussion useless." there's a river the architect suddenly exclaimed pointing then added before the others could comment i mean what was once a river they saw that he was right an irregular but well-defined streak of sandy hue trickled down the middle of their chosen location a long l-shaped valley surrounded by low hills that's the most likely place outside of the twilight zone for life to be found remarked the doctor neither mountains nor dead level He added, the spectroscope has plainly shown that there's water vapor in what little air there is. Must be precious little. If the air was as humid as the earth's, we couldn't see the surface at all from this height. The inviting-looking valley was now less than a hundred miles below, inviting, however, only an outline. In color it was a grayish buff, scorched and forbidding. The hills were yellower, and an alkali white on their summits. Do either of you fellows see anything green? demanded the engineer a little later. They were silent. Each had noticed long before that not even near the poles was there the slightest sign of vegetation. "'No chance unless there's foliage,' muttered the doctor half to himself. The builder asked what he meant. He explained, "'So far as we know, all animal life depends upon vegetation for its oxygen, not only the oxygen in the air, but that stored in the plants which animals eat. Unless there's greenery—' He paused at a low exclamation from Smith. The engineer's eyes were fixed in wonder and excitement upon that part of the valley which lay at the point of the L below them. It was perhaps six miles across, and all over the comparatively smooth surface jutted dark projections. Viewed through the glasses, they had a regular uniform appearance. "'By Jove!' ejaculated the doctor, almost in awe. He leaned forward and scrubbed the deadlight for the tenth time. All four men strained their eyes to see it was the architect who broke the silence which followed the other three were content to let the thrill of the thing have its way with them such a feeling had little weight with the expert in archaeology well he declared jubilantly in his boyish voice either i eat my hat or that's a genuine modified city as swiftly as an elevator drops and as safely the cube shot straight downward every second the landscape narrowed and shrunk leaving the remaining details larger clearer sharper bit by bit the amazing thing below them resolved itself into a real metropolis within five minutes they were less than a mile above it smith threw on more current so that the descent stopped and the cube hung motionless in space for another five minutes the four men studied the scene in nervous silence each knew that the others were looking for the same thing some sign of life a little spot of green or perhaps something in motion a single whiff of smoke would have been enough to cause a whoop of joy but nobody shouted there was nothing to shout about nowhere in all that locality apparently was there the slightest indication that any save themselves were alive instead the most extraordinary city that man had ever laid eyes upon was stretched directly beneath it was grouped about what seemed to be the meeting-point of three great roads which led to this spot from as many passes through the surrounding hills and the city seemed thus naturally divided into three segments of equal size and shape and each with its own street system for they undoubtedly were streets no metropolis on earth ever had its blocks laid out with such unvarying exactness this mercurian city contained none but perfectly equilateral triangles and the streets themselves were of absolutely uniform width the buildings however showed no such uniformity on the outskirts of this brilliantly tan mystery the blocks seemed to contain nothing save odd heaps of dingy sun make mud on the extreme north however lay five blocks grouped together whose buildings like those in the middle of the city were rather tall square-cut and of the same dusty cream-white hue downtown were several structures especially prominent for their height they towered to such an extent in fact that their upper windows were easily made out apparently they were hundreds of stories high here and there on the streets could be seen small spots colored a darker buff than the rest of that dazzling landscape's but not one of the spots was moving we'll go f- down further said the engineer tentatively in a low tone there was no comment he gradually reduced the repelling current so that the sky-car resumed its descent they sank down until they were on a level with the top of one of those extraordinary skyscrapers the roof seemed perfectly flat except for a large round black opening in its centre no one was in sight when opposite the upper row of windows at a distance of perhaps twenty feet smith brought the car to a halt and they peered in there were no panes the windows opened directly onto a vast room but nothing was clearly visible in the blackness save the outlines of the opening on the opposite walls they went down further keeping well to the middle of the space above the street at every other yard they kept a sharp lookout for the inhabitants but so far as they could see their approach was entirely unobserved when within fifty yards of the surface all four men made a search for cross wires below they saw none there were no poles even Neither, to their astonishment, was there such a thing as a sidewalk. The street stretched, unbroken by curbing, from wall to wall, and from corner to corner. As the cube settled slowly to the ground, the adventurers left the dead light to use the windows. For a moment the view was obscured by a swirl of dust, raised by the spurt of the current. Then this cloud vanished, settling to the ground with astonishing suddenness, as though jerked down by some invisible hand. Directly ahead of them, distance perhaps a hundred yards, lay a yellowish-brown mass of unusual octagonal shape. One end contained a small oval opening, but the men from the earth looked in vain for any creature to emerge from it. The doctor silently set to work with his apparatus. From an air-tight double-doored compartment he obtained a sample of the ether outside the car, and with the aid of previously arranged chemicals quickly learned the truth. There was no air. Not only was there no oxygen, the elephant upon which all known life depends, but there was no nitrogen, no carbon dioxide, not the slightest trace of water vapor, or of the other less known elements which can be found in small amounts in our own atmosphere. Clearly, as the doctor said, whatever air the astronomers had observed must exist on the circumference of the planet only, and not in the sun-blasted north-central spots. On the outer walls of the cube, so arranged as to be visible through the windows, were various instruments. The barometer showed no pressure. The thermometer, especially devised one which used gas instead of mercury, showed a temperature of six hundred degrees Fahrenheit. No air, no water, and no a baking heat. as the geologists remark, "How could life exist there? But the architect suggested that possibly there was some form of life of which men knew nothing which could exist under such circumstances they got out three of the suits. They were a good deal like those worn by divers, except that the outer layer was made of non-conducting aluminum cloth, flexible, airtight, and strong. Between it and the inner lining was a layer of cells, into which the men now pumped several pints of liquid oxygen. The terrific cold of this chemical made the heavy flannel of the inner lining very welcome, while the oxygen itself, as fast as it evaporated, revitalized the air within the big, glass-faced helmet." once safely locked within the clumsy suits jackson van emmon and smith took their places within the vestibule while the doctor who had volunteered to stay behind watched them open the outer door with a hiss all the air in the vestibule rushed out and the doctor earnestly thanked his stars that the inner door had been built very strongly the men stepped out onto the ground at first they moved with great care being uncertain that their feet were weighted heavily enough to counteract the reduced gravitation of the tiny planet but they had been living in a very peculiar condition, gravitationally speaking, for the past three days, and they quickly adapted themselves. After a little shifting about, the three artificial monsters gave their telephone wires another scrutiny. Then, keeping always within ten feet of each other, so as not to throw any strain on the connections, they strode in a matter-of-fact way toward the nearest doorway. For a moment or two they stood outside the queer, peaked archway, their glimmering suits standing out oddly in the blinding sunlight then they advanced boldly into the opening in a flash they vanished from the doctor's sight and the ink-like blackness of the opening again stared at him from that dazzling wall end of section 2 recorded by jennifer wigginton